It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. How fun that conversation was in the last hour with my friend Jim Bearden out at Green Meadows Preserve. And Jim, I know you're I know you're gone, but you might still be out there listening. Our friend Clint Waltz at the University of Georgia. How to discourage black crows. That's a good question. We'll have to talk about that uh, off the air. I may have some suggestions for you, Clint. Good morning. Well, welcome everybody to hour number three of Green and Growing. So throughout the show, I've kind of peppered in uh, when I hear from all of you. You know, I know you're not necessarily up and listening live as the show is on from six to nine on Saturday, but you go back on WSBRadio.com or uh, Spotify, Google Play, the Apple iTunes store, and you can listen to the show as a podcast each hour independently, commercial free, I might add. Um, And a lot of you send great messages and questions off the air. And it's funny, back around Christmas time, um, Mike from McDonough emailed me and just emailed me because we were having a conversation about poinsettias on the air. And he emailed me a picture of his poinsettia, but I wasn't even tuned into that, seeing his photo. I saw a lemon tree in the background and I replied to Mike's email And I was like, good golly, Mike, that's an awfully large lemon tree back there. And uh, now Mike is on the phone. We've kind of been in touch back and forth via email. Good morning. Welcome to the radio show. Good morning. How you doing? So that started a really fun conversation. So there's these massive lemons in the background on this tree uh, that you're, you know, keeping in the garage uh, for the wintertime. What lemon tree is that? Uh, The big one is called uh, Ponderosa lemon. Holy Uh, cow. And those are like bigger than your hand. Yeah, I can get like um, grapefruit size, softball size. Jeez. I've gotten like a cup of lemon juice just from one lemon. I would imagine so. And where did you get this Ponderosa lemon tree? Um, That is a good question. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure where I picked up up ones from all over the place. Uh, That particular one, I'm not sure. I've gotten some from Pikes. Um, There's a gentleman... In South Carolina, McKenzie Farms that specializes in citrus trees grafted onto cold rootstocks. I might have gotten it from there. Wow. I don't really remember. I'm sorry. Well, no, that's fine. And I love, too, you've got a Meyer lemon as well. Um, And so I I had some questions for you. And I'm not going to necessarily call you the resident expert because it's funny when I kind of alluded to that. You're like, you know, I've killed a lot, too. I'm not always successful. But I figure with the success you have had with Ponderosa, with Meyer Lemon, that you could help some other folks out. So I had some questions for you. And then you and I can maybe talk about some other needs for them, whether it's watering, fertilization, and and just how you keep them looking so good. But um, first of all, just talk about if it's difficult, if it's a challenge, or if it's actually just pretty standard routine for you overwintering these potted trees like you said they take up real estate in your garage for i don't know four to five months um should that discourage somebody or is that pretty easy to maintain um no i mean first of all you don't have to have 10 of them like i do you know if you just had one (laughs) or two it would certainly be no big deal um you can get you know dollies that'd probably be the best way if you didn't have you know you just roll them out on a nice day and roll them back in um, but worst case scenario, you just have two bad days. One day when you bring them in and one day when you take them out. So there it's not go. that big a deal. That's true. And then, so what is it you were telling me about an oscillating fan? Like, is that necessary? What does that do? Um, well, you want to, you, you know, for disease and things like that, like any plant, uh, like when you're starting seeds, you want to have, you know, good air circulation. So that, that helps, you know, generally with the air circulation. 
And they bloom in the wintertime, too. So remember, you have to uh, kind of help them pollinate, tap in the trees. And, the fa- you know, the wind helps with the self-pollination as well. Yeah, moving that pollen around. And that's that's a great point. Those white blossoms can really fill up your entire house or room or garage, wherever it is, uh, when they really start to bloom. So when do folks expect to see those flowers on their lemon trees? Um, mine are blooming now. So the, the, the ripe fruit's there and the new blooms are starting. Um, you know, different ones are a little bit different, but most all of them are starting to bloom now. And, man, that just smells so good, too. Oh, yeah. So when can we expect lemons? You said you have some now. Yep, right now there's that tree's loaded, and uh, the good thing about them is they'll hold on the tree, you know, for a long time till you're ready to use them. Most of them. Yeah. So you know they can sit there a month, and you can go out there and just you know grab one or two when you need them. And now, is there anything that you need to do as far as like providing a little bit of extra strength to that tree? Because especially with a ponderosa, my goodness, I'll share the picture that you sent me, but. You know, it's softball size, if not larger. Do you have to stake the tree or prop it up so that the weight of the lemons don't pull it over? No, it's um, just like a you know big apple tree. The limbs will sag a little bit, but it um, it's all good on its own. Mother Nature works pretty well like that, doesn't she? Oh yeah. So we've got these in pots here in Georgia, folks, because, you know, a Meyer lemon's not something that you can generally leave out in the landscape. So plants and pots require regular feedings. I mean, they're pretty heavy feeders, right, Mike? Citrus trees. So maybe every like two to four weeks during the growing season, just because nutrients are washed out when you're regularly watering that tree. Um, and what have you had success with as far as fertilization goes? Uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty heavy uh, nitrogen feeders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was told they need to be fertilized about three times a year, uh, wintertime, early spring, and then summer, fall. So I read a good thing, a good way to remember it is uh, the holidays, uh, feed them Valentine's Day, uh, then Memorial Day, and then Labor Day or Independence Day, depending. One uh, place I read said that they didn't want to fertilize in the summer for oranges and um, grapefruit because it can kind of make the rinds thick. Mm-hmm. So they recommend waiting more until fall to do that last third seeding. So you can either use Labor Day or uh, Independence Day for that third seeding, depending on what you're trying to feed. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty good way to remember. That is. That definitely helps me because there's a lot of things in my landscape when it comes to pruning anyways that I try to remember, um, you know, around holidays. So there's there's uh, Espoma brand organic fertilizers that a lot of folks are familiar with. And Espoma has holly tone and citrus tone. I mean, everything that's very specific to the plant uh, that it's used on. So they've got a, you know, citrus tone fertilizer, organic, slow release. Um, it's easy to pour and mix with water. Something like that is going to be pretty, you know, standard to uh, fertilize with. And Mike, like you said, pollination and helping move that pollen around is really important too, so that the flowers get pollinated to produce lemons. Otherwise, no lemons. Yeah, slow release fertilizer is what I meant, you know, like that. Yeah. The granules are like you mentioned. Yeah, it stays in the soil a little bit longer. Well, Mike, thanks for the insight on that. I really appreciate learning from you. And so when you say you've had some failures too, I mean, what's the what's the most fatal thing that's happened with, with a citrus tree for you? Uh, you can kill a citrus tree by overwatering it a lot easier than you can by underwatering it. So I, I think I overwatered it one year and killed a couple of them. So especially in the wintertime when you bring them in the garage. 
Uh, they don't need much water at all, maybe once a week. You know, so. Yeah, because they're in a more protected environment, you know, ideally something like above 50, 55 degrees at least, you know. But, yeah, when they're not out in the sun, you know, they're not going through as much water. There's not as much evaporation. But, again, folks, it goes back to that rule of sticking your finger in the soil. And if it comes back, you know, up to your knuckle, whether it's completely dry or a little bit moist, you'll be able to kind of gauge you know, watering, because like you said, they, they don't want it too wet, but they can't withstand being dried out for too long either. So very good uh, warning for folks. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to call and share your knowledge with us this morning. No problem. All right. Um, you you stay in touch. And the next time I'm down in Henry County, I'm going to come pick up some Ponderosa lemons. There you go. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I love that. See, a lot of you know a heck of a lot more than I do about some things. So thanks for the call. Up next, Sean and Marietta. Good morning, Sean. Welcome to Greeny Growing. Good morning, Ashley. Hey. So you, um, ironically or coincidentally, you had a question about fertilizer. Did we answer it about lemon trees? Uh, yes, you did. But the, the other question that I had about apples could actually go for both uh, the lemons and I think yeah. the apples. Okay. Um, for the cross-pollinization for them, because I have a Meyer as well. And um, it just came up with two lemons in the fall, and they've been just sitting on here. Um, I was, you know, that's why I had the question about the fertilizer. But um, for the cross-pollination, does it have to be the, like for apple trees and for citrus trees, do they have to be the same? Do I have to get two Meyer plants? Do I have to get two of the same types of apples, or can they be different? No, what's interesting about apples and pears and even blueberry bushes, too, is it's actually recommended to get different varieties. So apples are considered self-infertile. They they have to have that pollen from another variety in order to set fruit. And a lot of people here in Georgia realize that crab apple trees, we don't really necessarily eat the crab apples, but Crab apple trees are great to have in the same area as your regular apple trees, and they do a great job of, of sharing pollen. And the bees will, you know, transfer it from the crab apples, which bloom like crazy, to your apple tree. So different varieties is key there, I think. And do they have to be within a certain distance, or can they be just in the yard? Um, yeah, just in the yard, just in the general area. You know, and keep in mind, too, spacing um, is so important when you are planting a home orchard and knowing what variety you have. If you have a dwarf variety of a fruit tree versus a full-size one, that's going to determine whether you plant them 10 feet apart, 20 feet apart. And I was so glad to have that conversation. Uh, I shared in the earlier part of the show at 630 with Josh Fooder, the Cherokee County Extension agent, with the orchard that he's starting up in Canton at Cherokee Veterans Park. And I, I asked that very question. You know, spacing is just so important. So as long as it's in the area, the bees travel around and there's no problem. Thank you so much for the great question, Sean, and good luck with your apple trees. Please check back in. Coming up on 819 is time to take a break. And when we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and Pike Nursery, along with some uh, information about Lenten Rose, Hellebore is one of my favorite winter blooming plants. Next on WSB. Meteorologist Christina Edwards has you covered all weekend long and through the week as we kind of uh, hunker down and bear through this winter storm that's arriving later today, maybe affecting us into Sunday and Monday. So keep it right here on 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing, that weather update, by the way. Brought to you by Finley Roofing. Having a great show. My gosh, y'all make it so great. Your feedback on Facebook right now, the Citrus Conversation with listener Mike, uh, Jim Bearden, Green Meadows Preserve, 
uh, my conversation with Josh Fooder, which has actually kind of come full circle with some of your questions in the show. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're up early with us on a Saturday morning. A few days past the Bulldogs National Championship win. It's been a great week. 404-872-0750. So I've neglected to do this maybe but once in the show. So it's time for this. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. I know you're not necessarily chomping at the bits. Oh yeah, Ashley, I'm ready to get out in the yard this weekend. It's going to be cold, duh. So you got some time. You got the whole week to do this, and I try to make it pretty easy for you. Seasonal, helpful tips, just a little at a time that you can be doing. Number one, check your automatic irrigation, okay? Just like with your tools, you rely on that too much to leave it to chance. So weather permitting, run each zone in your automatic irrigation system. Look for signs of leaking, pipe breaks, uh, damaged irrigation heads. And now is a good reminder to get those covers for your spigots, you know, like unscrew your hose from the spigot on the side of the house and cover those up. This is going to be a good weekend to do that, protect the pipes and all of that. Uh, number two, dream and plan ahead to your garden in the spring right now. That's less work and more fun just to kind of think about what you want to do. Plan out next season's bulb garden. Look at some seed catalogs. Uh, pick up an inspiring garden book. There's a ton that uh, you can find on WalterReeves.com. Every gardener should have. Uh, Joe Lample, some of his books. Alan Armitage, I've got his latest one about perennials, which is fantastic. And just learn about some new-to-you plants, you know, things that you've never grown before. Um, earlier in the show, I mentioned right now is a great time for pansies, that pop of winter color. And they're going to be sustained through the snow and all that kind of stuff. And primrose, too, for a lot of you that haven't heard of that kind of fuzzy-feeling, broad-leafed, beautiful, grows in small little clustered, flowered uh, primrose. Comes in all different colors, just like pansies. That's a good plant to check out this time of year. And number three, maintain and clean your garden tools. Take an inventory of what you've got what's broken, and what you'll need to replace to get ready for spring. And also, kind of, it's a good time to check your fertilizers, too. Any kind of chemicals or fertilizers that you've got, uh, make sure they've been properly stored, you know, closed up. They haven't let moisture get to them or anything like that. Um, and be ready to have all of that stuff on hand, whether it's your horticultural sprays, your uh, plant-specific fertilizers, like we talked about things by Espoma, uh, for holly tone and citrus tone and all of that kind of thing. If you're wanting to prop up a plant a little bit that hasn't looked good in years past, you're going to make it look fantastic this year. 404-872-0750. We'll return with Pike Nurseries up next on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. You know, when I get up in the morning, I I put this in air quotes, I sleep in on Saturday mornings because during the week to do uh, triple team traffic during Atlanta's morning news, the alarm goes off at like 2.45 Monday through Friday, and then it goes off at uh, like 4.18 on Saturdays. So when I when I get up on Saturdays, I'm always like, ah, the show is three hours and takes me 35 minutes to get to work. But then it goes by so fast because I have such a good time. And that is thanks to all of you and DeMarco and Ann and Robin and Zach Grizzle over in the traffic center. We have a good time on Saturday mornings. 404-872-0750. I want to say good morning to uh, some folks checking in on Facebook. Merritt, hey, good morning. And Connie 
and Anthony and Brenda. I am glad y'all are checking in with me early this morning. And you know who else is checking in? Allison Smith from Pike Nursery. There she is. Hello. Good morning. Happy New Year. You too. 15 days in. And I started off the show by telling folks I wanted to hear about their garden resolutions and nobody called. Womp womp. But, you know, I mean, it's not too late. (laughs) It's It's not too late. It's not too late. I know we've got icy weather tomorrow, but boy, especially what we're talking about today, there are some great plants to get out and in your yard and start planning for spring all the things. Yeah, it doesn't have to look drab in the wintertime, folks. Uh, it can be, you know, pops of color. And actually, Allison, this is kind of cool, too. Uh, throughout the show, I kind of look at social media. And the Georgia Native Plant Society shared their 2022 plant of the year. And it's the American beech tree. And, like, you know, everything loses its leaves and looks so bare. But when you look out in the woods and you see this tree that's hanging on to these light brown crunchy, crinkly-looking leaves. That's the American beach. And does that not look cool, like, in a winter landscape? It's so cool. There is actually a huge variety of really neat trees that look stunning even in winter. I yeah. I'm love that you brought that up because we often forget. Yeah, we've got our evergreens. We've got magnolias, just some beautiful things. And earlier in the show, talking about pops of color, I was mentioning, you know, I, I just went to my town lake, Pike Nursery, good morning to Clayson, uh, the other day and picked up my pansies because it's not too late. So I planted my pansies and primrose. I forget about those every year. And they're right there in the nursery as well. Beautiful little colorful flowers. But you've got a perennial for us that we only need to plant one time. And it's going to bloom this time of year every year for us. That's right. Hellevore, often known as Christmas rose or Lenten rose, mm-hmm. um, because it blooms in the winter. I am a shade gardener and a big fan of winter blooming color. And this is one of my top picks. Um, I love it for a million reasons, Ashley. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, we only have nine minutes, so right. how about you give us three? <laughs> That's right. Well, first, it's got evergreen foliage, and it blooms this time of year. And why that's important as a perennial, we, um, you know, often our perennials will die back uh, in the down seasons. This one doesn't. It stays evergreen. It's got really pretty deep green leaves, some of which are um, variegated, so it it offers year-round interest there. Plus, it's pretty deer-resistant. It's got yeah. serrated leaves, so it's not going to be chomped up in your garden uh, by, by our furry friends. Um, the blooms are fantastic. A variety of really soft colors. You've got everything from creams and bright whites to mauves and even some real pretty interesting slate grays and deep purples. Yeah, you can add a lot of variety um, in your shade and a little bit of your sun garden. I love hellebores. And you know where I've had success? Like I was introduced to this plant by Walter and Mickey Gazaway years ago. And there's a lot of hostas in my yard that were just kind of already there. And while hostas are great, um, I got kind of tired of looking at them. So I wanted to mix it up a little bit. So I planted three hellebores. It's probably been five or six years ago from Pike Nursery in a spot where the hostas were doing well. Same conditions. They thrive. They thrive. Mm -hmm. They love it. Um, they're really easy. Uh, they're, they're not real fast growers, so, but they will spread over the years if you'd like. Not all varieties. Uh, the double bloomers and, and some that have been um, hybrid, hybridized are slower to spread and seed, um, but they really do make an impact in the garden. Again, year-round. I love that you did that with your hosta area. 
Yeah. So, I mean, for folks who are like, oh, I may not have a spot in the in the landscape for hellebores, they do get a little bit bigger um, than hostas. But, gosh, they're just so beautiful. And the different colored flowers are really what got me because you, you look at them closely, Allison, and they almost look kind of plasticky. But the colors are like antique kind of a faded, washed out, like an old photograph. And that's what I really love about, you know, I mean, you, you've got your bright options, like I'm saying, the pansies and the primrose. But this is just a really different palette with a more of a pastel look. Yeah, that's a fantastic description, that antique look. It really is very classic in any garden. And it can be complemented by a million things, whether you've got ferns um, also in the winter with your autumn ferns or heuchera to give you texture and fullness around it. Those are all great plants that complement the hellebores, but man, they just are great standalones as well. They do great in containers as well. If you don't have a lot of room in your garden, but you really want a little bit of pop of color there on your porch um, or in your front yard in those big containers that are waiting for spring's flowers, hellebore is a great choice. Yeah, for sure. And so for anybody who doesn't know the plant we're talking about, I just shared pictures on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. Um, They're easy to grow. There's not a lot that I need to do, but what kind of fertilizer do I need to have on hand to make them happy? Well, they do like a, a neutral pH, so our acidic jo- uh, soil that we have here in Georgia um, would benefit from some garden lime. But uh, a good organic fertilizer that has some nice phosphorus in there when you plant, as we always talk about, to get those roots well-established and, and totally support the blooms is always a plus. And then amending the soil um, it, with a good uh, garden lime will help them really thrive. Nice. And uh, you know what's kind of fun, too, is mine are, you know, blooming now. There are a lot that started blooming weeks ago, and they'll bloom through Lenten rows. So through through Lent, you know, for, for folks yeah. that are religious, that's hence the name. But when the daffodils start to open up, and actually a lot of folks are like, I already have some. The, the weather's so confusing <laughs> to my daffodils. I've already got some blooming. But I have, like, gone to friends' birthday dinners and brought arrangements for them with just daffodils and hellebores cut from my yard. And the purples and the whites with the yellow daffodils, that makes a really simple, nice flower arrangement. Gorgeous. And that's such a great color scheme as we leave winter and anticipate spring. I love that. Yeah, thank you. I was quite proud of that when I discovered that years ago. I was like, cool, this is pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Now, let me ask you not to be a downer, um, but I did have a listener, Shannon, uh, go back and forth with me on Facebook about a month ago. She had three hellebores that mysteriously died over the summer. She was doing a little bit of research, and she did find out about a virus called like hellebore black death. And from the research I've done, Allison, it's not super, super common here right now. It's not something that folks are freaking out about. But do you all have any customers that have come into your store and, and brought in you know a sample and say, why has my hellebore died? Mine are pretty vigorous, so I haven't had any issues. I haven't had a lot of issues specifically with uh, Black Death, Ashley, but with all of the rain that we got this past summer, um, hellebore generally don't like what we call wet feet. Mm -hmm. They don't like really moist areas. Um, And so I did see an abundance of of, uh, black spot and some fungus around. You can prune off those leaves. I strongly recommend when planting hellebore that uh, you dig a little bit deeper than the root ball and add some uh, shale or, or rocks to allow for drainage and really amend that soil um, so that it's not that uh, compact, deep red clay. That is 
advantageous. We can't control Mother Nature, unfortunately, and her reign, but a lot of time those fungus will, will creep up. The Black Death, I haven't seen a lot of, but um, yeah, that's no fun. No, no, no fun at all. So I don't want to discourage anybody from planting them, but that was just a very wise question brought uh, to me. And and that's a good thing about Pike Nurseries too, Allison, is all of you are experts and so patient and so kind that if folks don't get out to their county extension office, a lot of times they'll bring you cuttings uh, of a plant they need identified or something that's gone wrong and y'all are able to look at it and really give them some you know, firsthand knowledge of what's going on. That's so helpful. Thank you. That's one of our great privileges is helping gardeners, new gardeners, established gardeners, identify plants, identify problems, and find the right solution so that their garden can thrive. We really do love taking the guesswork out of gardening and and being here to help our gardeners. So pikenursery.com is where you find out more, find out about all of their locations throughout Metro Atlanta. Um, And just a reminder, since I was in my Town Lake store a couple of days ago picking up those pansies, I returned my Christmas tree stand and I got an in-store credit for doing so. Uh, When is the last, you know, day that we have to bring back the Christmas tree stands to you all? We're trying to get them all back, I think, by uh, early February. Okay. So if we, can, if we can shoot as you're cleaning out uh, Christmas and packing things away, get that stand up to us. We'd be happy to give you a rebate February 1. Nice. All right. Allison Smith, thank you so much for calling in this morning. What a fun topic and a nice, you know, pleasant plant to talk about. Yeah, good to speak to you again, as always, Ashley. Have a great day. All right, you too, Allison. Thanks so much, and thanks to Pike Nursery. They have a lifetime guarantee on trees and shrubs. So, yeah, as Allison said, taking the guesswork out of gardening. 404-872-0750. I hope that Scott from Carrollton is still listening because he called about an hour ago. I'm so sorry, Scott. I had so much to do. Um, We were talking about growing herbs with an earlier caller, Terry, from Stone Mountain, and he said that he's got an aggressive mint that is just invasive and is growing everywhere. And yes, I'm afraid so. Uh, mint is a favorite herb, a very easy one to grow, but it's made easier by the fact that it spreads and it spreads like crazy. So a lot of gardeners who have experience with mint, um, they definitely tend to put it in pots. Um, that's going to be easier to control it because the spread eventually invades the rest of the garden. And uh, like a lined raised bed will keep plants under control very well as well. Um, but when it's growing where you don't want it, that's going to be uh, a task. If you're trying to avoid sprays, you know, a broadleaf herbicide is, is going to get to it, but it's also maybe going to affect some things growing around it. So my advice for Scott in controlling mint um, a lot of garden articles that I've seen over the years, boiling water, um, that's a little more organic um, and, and maybe more safe. But that's, again, going to hurt some plants around it, too. But if you don't want to go the chemical route because it is in your garden with other things. But for those of you who've never planted mint but want to, better done in a pot. That's good advice. That way you don't have the invasive problem. All right. Thanks to Allison. Thanks to Scott. We're going to wrap things up with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You'll have to bundle up to do them, but stay warm. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. I'm WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards. Staying dry through the first half of Saturday afternoon. The rain showers arrive Saturday evening, but what you need to know about the wintry weather setup for Sunday coming up. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. It's been a great show. And like I said, you'll have the opportunity to listen back on a podcast, WSBRadio.com. What do you mean? I can end your great show right now. No, you're not going to. I still have four minutes. 
Okay, I told you to turn his mic on, DeMarco, but maybe not. I know how uh, to turn the mic on. <laughs> so that's Dave Baker, ladies and gentlemen. He came in uh, a little early. You so, invited me in a little early. No, you actually walked in uninvited. But then no, I started I talking invited. to you. Were you? Is there a sign on the door that I says welcome? I own from 8.45 to 9 o'clock. No! I allow you to be on. Oh, well, how much do I owe you for the rental fee? Yeah. Okay. So anyways, uh, WSBRadio.com. Click on On Demand to listen back to the show. Also on Spotify, Google Play. I don't know if you podcast your show. Is it worth listening back to? Ayo. Did you say worth listening back to? <laughs> yeah. It's on my website, thehomefixitpage.com. Wow. Shameless plug. Okay. Every show back to December of 2016. Holy cow. And you've been here a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah. 1985. Yeah, How's there that? you go. There you go. Dave from Conyers. So um, Clark Howard came up earlier in the show, which was super cool, from a caller who had some ideas about how to donate some maple trees. And I got to thinking, Clark Howard, I've you know had him on my radar the last few days because he is starting his Habitat for Humanity builds next weekend. And you're always a big part of that. I am a big part of that. You are a big part of that. And Not you, a big and, part as Clark is. but So will you be able to be on site? I don't know. Okay. I think Clark will definitely be on site, though. I don't know how that's all working. It's a it's a game-time decision, as far as I, last I heard. Yeah, so you'll be on the air regardless next Saturday. Uh, it oh, may you. be from out on location, or it may be from here in the studio, but Clark Howard will be joining you. Do you know which uh, number homes he's working on right now? I want to say 89 it's, and 90, it's yeah. That'd be like 86, 87, somewhere up in there. He has done some amazing work. So then what is your favorite task when you're on site? I know you're a handy dude. Do you get up there and put up siding? Are you more of a drywall kind of guy, roofer? I like pointing. (laughs) Where's this go? Over there. Do you wear like knee pads and a helmet and a safety vest? No. You probably should. You seem accident prone. I wear the required gear. Goggles? No. Hard hat? No. Boots? No. You have to go to the job site properly dressed or else OSHA will get you, right? I barely wear long pants. No, that's workplace. Yeah, Clark. Oh, does he wear shorts out to the build? That's a good point. Everybody does. But it's going to be like 30 degrees next How Saturday. Do you know? Are you a meteorologist? Well, I've been listening to Christina Edwards. It's a week I'm, away. It's a week it's away. It's not going to be 70 degrees like it was you on Christmas know. Day. You well, don't know. I'm guessing. I'm be making an positive. educated guess. So nevertheless, that's going to be a little bit of a special uh, home fix-it show next it Saturday. Is. Yeah, we because do it twice the, a year. Then there'll be one uh, in March, I think, when the house is finished. Yeah, mid-March. It's amazing how quickly that gets done. If you've never uh, volunteered for Habitat, you should go to their website. And volunteer. It doesn't have necessarily have to be Clark's. Clark yeah. may be full of, oh, look, my phone's going off. <laughs> Way to interrupt my show. That Tell that my, person my, to call back. That means my guest <laughs> is having trouble connecting. The, uh, go to Habitat and volunteer. And mm-hmm. it's, it's an eye-opener. And how many people get together and, and boom, you go out to the site at, at 9, the show comes on, and by noon, all the walls are up. That's all the, crazy. All the studying is up and everything. Now, yeah. I will say, uh, Habitat Atlanta, they are limiting the number of volunteers due to COVID, and you do have to have proof of vaccination before yep. you get on a job site. Uh, but in any other given year, a number of volunteers come in and out. They show you what to do. I hung siding one of the first years that I worked on one of Clark's <laughs> houses, and my team we did it the wrong way. We overlapped it the wrong way, so we literally had to take it down and redo you put it. it vertically instead of horizontally. No, it wasn't like that. Like oh. we just overlapped it. We still did it horizontally, but just somehow did it the wrong way. So I may not be the best volunteer <laughs> to surprised. build your house. They have professionals out there that will show you what to do. It's not like you <laughs> You're show on up your in your truck and they give you a hammer and <laughs> yeah. say, "Here, go." Yeah, that's absolutely right. Tell your guests to be patient. You don't come on for another he, ten minutes. He's trying to connect all right well hey i've had some guests i've had some experts we've had a good time thanks for all your calls and thanks for your feedback on the facebook page that's it the music means we're out that's layla by derek and the dominoes by the way derek and the dominoes layla that's that song 
All right, 10 more seconds to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Dave's starting to get on my nerves. Thanks to Marco. Thanks, Anne. I will see you all next Saturday. Stay warm this weekend and stay weather aware. Goodbye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.